0: While many traditional organizations are still finding their way when it comes to workplace mental health and worker satisfaction, there are many new organizations who've been able to build this way of thinking and behaving into the way they do business. We'll talk with a safety professional who is experiencing this employee-centric culture on this episode of the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. From Flourish DX, this is the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. Safety at work is more than freedom from physical injury. To be safe, you have to feel safe. Join us each week as we discuss psychologically healthy and safe work in the USA. Well, welcome to this week's Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. I'm your host, Dr. I. David Daniels, and I want to thank you for tuning in each week. We seek to increase awareness of the importance of psychological health and safety by learning from the lived experiences, research, and expertise of our guests, and also advocating strategies to reduce harm and minimize vulnerability to psychosocial hazards in the American workplace. Today's guest is one of the rare folks, I've been doing this podcast now for a while, and often I I, I come on and I talk a lot about what isn't happening in the United States, uh, the fact that we don't have a standard and the fact that a lot of organizations are really trying to figure out this whole psychological health and safety thing. And, and uh, have you know, there are a lot of good folks, a lot of folks are really working towards ensuring that employees and workers feel good in their organizations, but not everybody's actually there. And it's always it's encouraging to me to run across people who say that, you know, I think we're getting it over here. <laughs> and, and so um, my guest today, uh, Jamie Feinberg, we we met through our uh, interactions with a, another organization. And uh, we I, I don't even know how we stumbled across it, but she started to share with me that, you know, she thinks that where she is now is actually getting there and getting there a little bit quicker than some of the places she's worked before. So I don't really want to tell the story. I'd love to have Jamie tell the story, and the story for anyone on this podcast always starts off with this question. Who is Jamie?
1: First of all, thank you so much (laughs) for having me today. Um, I appreciate your, you know, letting me come on and and share my experiences, Um, but who is Jamie? Um, Well, Jamie Feinberg, uh, you know, I do have some initials after my name, Jamie Feinberg, uh, MPH. Um, I am vice president. I didn't get that. Could you try again? Well, sorry we wanted to jump in on our conversation, so I apologize well, for that. That happens. <laughs> that was very strange. Um, but Jamie Feinberg, I am vice president of partnerships uh, of safety, risk, and insurance for Hound Labs. Um, that's not all I do. Um, I am a wife of almost 15 years. I am a mother of two sons. That are 14 and 11, and I'm a fur mom to a three-year-old dog, and um, you know, an auntie and a sister, you know, sister, mother, you know, all of those fun things. So there's a lot that comes with that, right? And it's you know, it's a fun, fun thing, but being a working mom and you know, working for a lot of uh, you know Fortune 500 companies and you know, working in in you know the the, the the private sector and now working. I feel like I'm checking another thing off of my millennial checklist is you know working for a startup, um, and, and now being on a podcast. Also, checking another thing off of my millennial checklist. I feel like everybody at the millennial you have to be on a podcast or have a podcast, so now I can check one of those things off. So, um, that's a little bit about me, um, and, and where I'm at, and you know, been in the safety industry for a long time and, and definitely love this topic of psychological health and safety. And I just think that more people need to talk about it.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you, you mentioned, uh, so I'm happy to help you check something off the list because I'm an achiever type (laughs) guy. (laughs) Just love to see people get things done. Uh, But so how did you, what influenced your decision to become a safety person? Because you know, folks come at this whole safety profession from a lot of different angles. So what's what's yours
1: I always see that I fell into safety I love puns my kids cringe at it um, but I did I am a I'm I like to say classically trained right my education is in community health and public health and I actually when I was in college um, I was working in a factory for the summers I worked in a factory every summer I came home and I Um, you know, spent from 6 a.m. until 3 p.m., you know, I clocked in and checked into the factory and I worked with the maintenance department and I worked in a tool and die shop. And I learned firsthand what you should be doing and what you should not be doing. And it it helped me question a lot of things um, in regards to safety. So I did become very interested in occupational safety and health through my shared experience, you know, my experiences working. In a manufacturing facility. Um, I also, you know, it it came to be that I needed to do an internship um, and they had a safety department there and they said, hey, why don't you come and, you know, come back and do an internship? And when they also said that it was going to be paid, I was like, sold. (laughs) Um, So that's honestly how I I got into the safety field. Um, You know, I do honestly believe that a lot of safety professionals, you probably hear this, you know, most of us didn't really choose to be safety professionals. You, you kind of get picked or told that you're going to be responsible for safety. Um, but I really do believe that safety and fairness, it just plays into my core being. Even as a young child, I was very, very, um, you know, my parents used to say to me that I was kind of like the neighborhood Avenger. If there was a bully in the neighborhood, I was going to take care of it. <laughs> You know, so I was always kind of looking out for people and kind of, you know, making sure that, you know, everybody was, you know, getting a fair shot. And so I think that just being a safety professional just really, it, it suited me. And, and and honestly, being almost 20 years in, it's it's been a really, really great experience. Um, sometimes trying, right, <laughs> um, and frustrating, but it's always very, very re- rewarding to, um, be a safety
0: professional well, you know, I guess some might say some find safety and some of us safety finds us and i I really that was really interesting what you were sharing about your upbringing and and a particular word you used caught my caught my ear. you talked about how when you were younger you 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 felt this need to stand up for uh, yourself and for others when there were bullies around and as as you probably know, that uh, bullying is a psychosocial hazard in and of itself. So, uh, but share with me a little bit when when I when you hear the term psychological health and safety, what what does that what does that conjure up for you?
1: Oh, that's a that conjures up a lot of things for me, and it does mean a lot of you know a lot of different things. But I really think at its root. It comes down to perception, right? So if somebody has that feeling of being safe, being healthy, they're going to thrive in that workplace. Conversely, if they don't feel that way, if they don't feel that their needs are being met, whether it is from a physical safety standpoint or a psychological mental health standpoint, then that's going to impact not only their own performance and their own. But it's going to impact the entire workplace. And so there's a lot of things that trickle down f- from those feelings. And it might not even be that the employer is making that person feel that way. It could be past experiences that they bring with them, right? If they had a, a, a you know, a parent that was maybe very authoritarian and maybe they have a boss now that is similar, they may that might trigger something for them, right? And they might say, I'm not going to go to, you know, I'm not going to go to that person, or I don't feel like I can be open with that person because of the way that they present themselves. It might not have anything to do with that manager or that boss in particular. It's just that perception there. And so, but that really does impact the entire workflow and the whole workplace and how things happen. And I really do think that. Being able to talk about things and to be open and to be able to share those experiences in the workplace needs to happen more often than it does. And I think people need to be able to be a little bit vulnerable and to express to their managers or to even other people in their organization that this is the way I feel, um, or, or this is the way this policy makes me feel, or the way that this is being done is me feel. And have those discussions and so that we can break down some of those barriers to getting things done and to making people feel safe and included. And I know this probably sounds for some people who may be listening, right, a little too touchy-feely for them, right? But it has to be because we are talking about people's lives and people's emotions and it does spill into the workplace, unfortunately. Um, but Honestly,
0: that's what makes us human, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. And i uh, I share uh, anytime I get the opportunity, my uh, my research, my qualitative research on this topic suggests that a psychosocial hazard is a psychosocial factor, the way we think, the way we interact with other people, that is perceived or experienced by the individual exposed as a threat to them. And that perception or experience on their part in turn affects how they behave. And and it's exactly what you just said. This is, it's a unique experience for everybody. And people bring, you know, there is more conversation now about psychological safety, the, the concept of being able to bring your whole self. The challenge is when people bring their whole self, sometimes the organization doesn't really want that. They, that's not what they want because oh no hold it we don't want that trauma that you b- brought from childhood or the experience that you had at your last employer that you've had in the industry we don't want that we only want the uh, the high skill and the you want you to smile all the time and as you said bringing your whole self is bringing all of a human and all of us as humans have different kind of things going on and 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 I, I want to get to this because. Uh, <laughs> virtually everyone that I bring on this podcast, I, I share with them a link to a survey that I developed during my research. And, and to be quite honest, not everyone feels comfortable doing it. And it's not a pressure type of thing. And uh, because I don't, I don't. once people submit, you know, their answers to the survey, I don't even know who who did it. I mean, because it kind of gets mixed up into a, a big batch. But, uh, and, and the question that I ask after, you know, seeing the survey is, have you, can can you think of some circumstances where you've been exposed to a psychosocial hazard or you've seen someone else exposed, it doesn't matter which, and you think that could have been handled a little bit differently. Now, you know, and you may have known this then that you saw that you go something really that should be handled a little bit differently so can you share either your experience or one that you've seen. That you think could actually be done a little bit different because, and, I, and the reason why I asked this question is there somebody listening right now who's probably going through that very same thing?
1: Got it. Okay. So, one, you know, I definitely have seen this happen to other people, but I've also had it happen to myself, right? Where you just have different experiences where you walk in. When I first started out as a safety professional, I was young, 23 years old, hitting that, you know, manufacturing floor with. My entire, uh, the workforce out there were, were all male. The things that they would say to me were just astounding, but I was used to it for a little bit because I did come from a manufacturing setting, but they would say, little girl, go back to your office. We've been doing this longer than you've been alive. They didn't want to hear it, right? So I had to combat that. I came, I came about that, you know, came around to that pretty easily. I, I, I struggled with it for a little bit, but then I began to, to understand who they were and how I needed to change my way of doing things to be able to impact them and to and kind of get their buy-in on what I was doing. When I moved into more of a corporate environment, that's when I was taken off guard by the way that some people acted, um, whether it was towards myself or towards other people. And, and in one experience for me personally was... Working on a team where I was a subject matter expert on the team um, in the health and wellness field, and I could not the 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 team lead the executive on this team. He and I could not have been more opposite. And I like to tell people, I know I'm an acquired taste. I'm not for everybody. I'm very self aware, um, and I'm fine with that. But it became to the point where I could not anything I said or did. It was wrong. Didn't matter. He would, he would say that my work was junk in front of the entire team. He would make me do presentations. Like if we were going to go to a meeting, I had to present all of my presentations, everything word for word in front of the entire team while they sat there and critiqued me. And it became to the point where I would, when I had meetings with him, I was so nervous. I would be physically sick. And it became so bad. And there was other people in the room. Nobody said anything. Not one person. And these, some of these people were people I considered friends, right? And, and close colleagues. And it was just, it got to the point where it was just like, I, I don't, you, you don't know what to do, right? You don't know what to do. So I became very um, withdrawn and I, and I actually just kind of stopped. You almost stop trying, right? You stop because you know you're not going to be right. So why am I going to put the effort in if I'm just going to be wrong or if I'm just going to be, you know, told, you know, my, my input's not valued. So it, it was a struggle. It was a struggle. And, and there was a lot. of I've worked for people, too, who just want you. To, I call it a bobblehead, right, where they just want you to always just nod like this. You know, you kind of hit it and it just goes like this. And I'm not that person. If you want that person, you know, that's fine. But I I just, I can't do it. And again, I'm not for everybody. I'm going to say my piece. I'm going to be. And I think because of the fact that maybe, you know, growing up, I, I was pretty, I was pretty quiet, not quiet, but I, I, I didn't speak up as much as I should. I spoke up for other people but I probably didn't speak up enough for myself. Um, and so I'm learning now, even at 40 years old, learning now to speak up for myself and to kind of stand up for myself. And I think more people need that. But I think if you've come from a position, whether it's from childhood experiences or just you know your generation where you don't speak up or you don't say anything or you have anxiety again you know, towards that in a workplace, I mean, that could be fatal.
0: It can. Yes. And
1: this is where people really need to to think about the way that they're perceived, right? The way their organization, their culture is perceived. If you have a culture where people just feel like they have to say yes all the time and they can't bring things up, that can really lead to fatal, critical, catastrophic accidents um, within your organization.
0: Oh, my goodness. Uh, Oh, oh my goodness. (laughs) This is. I'm sorry. This. Honestly, this is what this podcast is intended to be about. Uh, As so when when I started, this is a bit of a rabbit here, rabbit trail here for a second. But when I when I started uh, there, again, this is a family of podcasts in, in a bunch of other countries. But all these other countries, they do have standards in place that make what you just went through, there there are ways to, you know, to file uh, actions to get that addressed. I'll just put it that way. I'm not saying it's perfect at all. And I don't think any of them, any of my, you know, fellow podcast hosts would say that their countries are perfect. But again, there's a structure that says, if you do that, so in many countries, the number one uh, report or, or uh, the number one workers comp issue is stress. And I would say that same thing in the United States, but just most places we can't make the claim. But that's what's going on for us, is we have people who experience exactly what you just talked about. And there are all kinds of reasons for it. But you get someone in leadership and, and you get someone in leadership who's a manager. And there's a difference. So you manage things, you lead people. And sometimes people you know, they look at, well, I am the person in charge and I have to manage everything. So I need you to come in and give your presentation before everybody else. and Have people critique you. That same experience that you had. But funny thing is you don't do that to everybody. You right. Have-
1: <laughs> <And> <laughs> he, would tell me, he would tell me, don't take it personal. It's just business. And I was like, well, how can I not take it personal when it's only me?
0: Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. So-
1: It's hard to take things, you know, not to take it personally if you were made if 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 they were making everybody do it, right? That's right. That's right. So it's actually that fairness, and and I'm all about that. Like I'm I'm a team player through and through. I've played sports my entire life and I'm a team player. I know what it means to, but if not everybody is getting treated the same way or getting the same amount of playing time, whatever it is, contributing the same thing in the same way. I take issue with that. And when you can't speak up or you feel like you can't, and I think this is something in the United States in general too, is that you don't want to be, come off as being soft, right? Or you don't want to come off as being a problem. Or so I think a lot of us, we just, you just accept it, right? And you also, you know, you look at some of these organizations and you're like, okay, so if I do go ahead and put a claim in, where is that going to get me in the long run? Right. Right. Now I don't have the time or maybe the money or the, or the team of lawyers that this organization does. So I think that puts a lot of people at a loss where they're just like, I'm just going to deal with it because I, 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 I don't have, I don't have a support system yes. to to help me battle this.
0: Yes, yes. Well, I, that's another, again, another, uh, I guess, kind of dream of mine is that slowly but surely, uh, I think a lot of folks have recognized, particularly as we've continued to evolve through the pandemic, because it's, it's mm-hmm. not over. It's still out there. Uh, it is certainly, things are better in some ways. But the other thing that I would say about the pandemic is, it didn't change near as much people said the pandemic changed things no it didn't change a lot but it exposed a lot of things there were already there issues that we we just had to focus on because we're stuck in our house dealing with it and right. as you as you shared you know there there is this culture that suggests that particularly if i don't have power in the organization if i'm lower on the food chain so to speak or if i'm not you know in a position that you know, and, and in some cases, even if you have the title, if you don't have the power in the organization, you're placed in this position. And the other thing, too, a lot of it, you know, just the our version of capitalism puts a lot of people in a position, well, I've, I've got the car note in the house, and i got to take care of the kids. i got all this stuff I have to do, so I, in turn, have to put up with that. And I think a lot of folks are starting to go, you know, maybe not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe it's not worth my health. So maybe I'll get a smaller house and get a smaller car, do something different. And, you know, people are starting to, as you said, starting to find their voice.
1: They really are. And I I think a lot of it has, there was a lot of reflection, I think, (laughs) over the past few years for a lot of people of what really matters to them. So I think that made a lot of people change their minds on what they wanted to do, who they wanted to work for. And where they want to be, you know, what they want to contribute to this world. And I think being a contributor, I think, plays into a lot of it. Um, You know, a lot of companies will say that they, you know, they want people, they bring them in for a certain reason. But it ends up being sometimes smoke and mirrors, right? They're going to bring you in and you're going to be this subject matter expert, or you're going to bring this and you're going to do all these great things. Okay, cool, great. And then when you actually try to do it, well that's not really what we do here. Or, you know, you know, that doesn't help us with our, you know, with our sales strategy, or that doesn't help us with that. Okay. Well now you start to see clearly on really what's going on and and what the value is of that organization. And most of the time it's, unfortunately it does become that bottom line and what, and what's coming in as opposed to, you know, having more employees, Employee-centric programs and policies in place to that I really think would, in the long run, help their bottom line. Anyways,
0: I I agree, hundred percent, hundred percent.
1: So it's all about how you treat people, and and that's—I mean—you learn that in kindergarten, right? Like, be kind, treat people the way you want to be treated. And I just think at some point that gets lost on certain on some people, or has gotten lost on some people, and. You know, when you can't talk about things, and and I think you said this before, I was listening on one of your other podcasts and somebody had said, oh, no, don't tell me that. Like, you know, when you start to talk about like, oh, I have depression or I have ADHD or I have this, people are like, you know, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to know. And it's like, no, but this could be a way for you to understand me better as an employee to help manage me better not to mention for me to also work with my my colleagues we do so many you know Myers Briggs tests and this and that and all these different whatever the flavor of the month is for these you know personality tests so we learn all about that stuff but does that really matter right it does i think they're good but if you're not going to do anything with them but why don't we talk about some of these other things that might play into how you work with other individuals in your organization, because again, there's a lot of things that are going on with people individually under the surface. We put on our smile every single day. You know, you, say you put on your big girl pants, I put my smile on, you know, grab my cup of coffee and and we hit, you know, you you hit the meetings and you do what you got to do. And nobody really knows what's really going on. Right. And, I think the more that you become aware of those things and start talking about them, I just think that it really truly makes you understand people at a different level. And I really do think that that makes people feel valued. It makes them feel safe that they're in a safe place that they can be themselves. I know we use a you know that word, be authentic, right? Be your authentic self. But there was a lot of times that in in previous jobs where even just the clothes I was putting on. I was being unauthentic to myself, but because I had to come across a certain way to either customers, clients, wherever I was going, it became where I was like, this is not me. This is not Jamie. I'm putting on a show to show up at work today. It doesn't make you feel good at the end of the day. Right. Like after time that becomes very weird because you're not able to be yourself.
0: Sure. 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 So, so we, (laughs) I, I, I don't know how we ended up, uh, coming across this, but I, I, yeah, I think you sent me a message on, you know, on social media or something like that and suggested that you had actually found, actually found a place that from your perception and experience actually has, has been doing a bit better job. So, so talk a little bit about what, you know, let, let's go a little bit more into what you're doing right now and how you think your experience and your current company is different from the places that you've been before.
1: Yeah, so I oh gosh, back December of 2021, I started working for uh, my current organization, Han Labs. And I think I found a unicorn <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and and I, I, by no means are we perfect, right?'re we're, we're, we've been around for about since 2014, but we are kind of a startup, right? A small organization. We're growing right now. We're preparing for launch of our first product. And it could be chaotic and hectic, right? But I will say that this organization from the get-go has made me feel valued, has made me feel um, that they care about me, not just me individually as a per- person but, or as an employee, but as a person, right? They, they care about what you're doing, what your family life is like how things are going, your health. Like we talk about all of that stuff and and it's great. We're all, for the most part, we're all remote too. So it, which can be even tougher to come into an organization, not knowing anybody, but at the same time, this company has made it so that we really truly, I feel, I already feel like I'm very close to people that I've only maybe met once in person or we've only had Zoom conversations Um and it's it really truly is incredible to see. And the fact that our our co-founders, um Mike and Jenny Lynn, they are um husband and wife team, they are parents, um, they are professionals, they get it, right? They get that life isn't perfect, right? They they get work-life balance probably more so than most people being the fact that they have, I think four children, um, teenage children. So they get it and they, and they live it, right? So it's not just saying like, yeah, we have a great work-life balance here. And, and that's something that they throw on a job description to get people to want to come there. It's actually shown and, and, it's, you know, and, and it's, it's lived every single day. And so I, I really think that it's great. They expect a lot out of us, but at the same time, they're giving a lot themselves.
0: Right. So
1: it's they're not, they're not that type of organization or those leaders where they're going to, you know, stack you up with work, this, and then, you know, not expect that they're not going to do the same thing. So I, I really think that there's, there's a lot to be said there. Um, and, and I think that's huge, especially as you're, as you're a growing organization, um, I think that's huge. They, they, they love getting feedback. They're always asking about feedback for themselves as leaders um, for our, for our leadership team as well. It is brought up. We talk about culture and how things are going as far as culture and what we can get better at almost every single leadership meeting. Mm -hmm. And that says a lot that they want. They want that feedback. They want it because when you're a small company, it's easy to be connected with everybody, right? But we've gone from maybe 15 employees to now almost, I think, like 50 or 60 employees. And now we're going to be getting even, even bigger. How do we keep that culture and what when you start to grow, right? That's I think that's the hardest part. I think companies are really, but I, I really struggle with that, with that growth and, and maintaining that.
0: So, so interesting how you've described uh, becoming a part of this new company. So what does this company do? I mean, you said it's growing. So what does it do?
1: So Hound Labs, we are a organization, a biotech company that we are uh, creating the, actually getting ready to launch our very first product, which is the Hound Cannabis Breathalyzer. It will be the first to market. Uh, the ultra, it's an ultra sensitive uh, rapid breath test for on-site detection of recent cannabis use. So currently, um, for employers, they're using you know different types of drug testing out there right now. And if it's if if cannabis is legal, um, whether it's recreational, recreationally legal for adult use or medicinally uh, legal for adult use. There, a lot of them, the the current testing methodologies are detecting it past use, not recent use, right? Mm. Because of the long detection windows and, um, you know, not to get too technical, but, you know, THE is a sticky substance. It wants to stick around in your system for a long time. Um, So our, our breath technology only captures uh, a, a detection window that's much shorter. So it will be able to determine has this employee used before they've come to work or during the workday. Mm. And if they choose to use responsibli- responsibly and legally on their own time, that's that's fine for them to do as long as it's legal in their state, right? That's fine for them to do. It's on their time. It's their choice. But when you come to work, be ready for work. And, you know, and and let's not impact the workday by, you know, using something that could, you know, potentially impair you and cause a unsafe you know, work environment for yourself and for your, your fellow coworkers.
0: So, yeah. So now, now I'm seeing the connection. I'm, I'm seriously, I'm, I'm seeing the connection between a company who is a startup, who is doing something that is very new, uh, who is doing something that, you know, in many ways has been not always used effectively in the past. I mean, I, I can make, I, mean, I, I have a view. So my, my graduate degree is in human resources and, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there are a lot of human resource systems that are just like our criminal justice system. They really are. Mm-hmm. They uh, so they pick on certain groups. <laughs> they they don't have real effective ways of addressing right. you know behavior. As a matter of fact, some things that are inappropriate in the workplace are because of because of how the company feels. Because uh, you know uh, I, I just there's a lot of those issues out there, and it's really interesting to hear. That your company is going after something that is a concern for some but isn't a problem as much some as sometimes people want to make it. They make it a problem because we try to address it as a problem as opposed to you know from a safety perspective, you know and I, I look at you know a lot of these things the same way. The question is impairment. It doesn't matter why you can be impaired from not enough sleep. you can be impaired from From your boss yelling at you. (laughs) You can be impaired by all kinds of things, but you know, as a as a culture, we've laser focused in on certain ones, you know, and turn them into a big deal. Yes.
1: Yep. And on substances that maybe people just don't like or don't think that it's right to use or 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 do. And just because you don't agree with it doesn't mean that I shouldn't be able to do it. I'm not talking about me personally, right? But that that I shouldn't be able to use something legally. my own time whether no matter what it is right so and and a lot of things that we talk about and i think this is what what really drew me to Hound labs is the safety and fairness i mean it speaks to me at my core being right like safety professional i've always been drawn to things being fair equitable for everybody and a lot of times in 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 this world right now that we're living in you're you're narrowly focusing on certain groups, right, in the safety profession, especially when when cannabis started to become legalized across the United States, we really started to hear that terminology or that phrase of safety sensitive become much more in the forefront, right? Because we're not going to test everybody now, but we're going to test the safety sensitive positions. And when you start to look at some of the demographics of people who are in safety sensitive positions, it's usually lower wage, labor intensive. Um, you, you also sometimes get into it where it's more persons of color. So now we're starting to talk about, you know. Are we really being fair to all of our employees if we're really starting to narrow down who we're testing and why we're testing them, as opposed to looking at, you know, that whole mentality of if it's, if it's, if it's good for one, it should be good for all. Right. Right. And there's a lot of, and the, really the true purpose of drug testing at its core is to deter use. It's to deter use at work, right. During the workday, no matter what the substance is, it's it's to deter use during the workday. But if you're not testing certain groups of people, you're basically saying it's okay for you to use because we're not going to test you, but not this group of people over here, or these group of employees over here, and so now there's this dynamic in the organization of, well, why us and not them?
0: At, that's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and and you you know you you again you bring up another great point is <laughs> that the the purpose of many uh, drug testing substance testing programs is to deter use when if it's really a safety thing, it ought to be about minimizing impairment because ultimately that's what matters. That's what's meant. There are all, all kinds of reasons why people put things into their bodies. There's all kinds of reasons why. And some of them are cultural, some of them are religious, some of them are medical, some of them are emotional. As a matter of fact, I've heard lots of stories recently of workers because it is so psychologically unsafe at work that they have to use a substance to be able to go and deal with their boss <laughs> and deal with the environment. And then when they do that, they're tested and found positive and lose their job, and which puts them back out, you know, in a position not being able to take care of their family. It's a big vicious cycle. When ultimately, if it is a concern about safety. We should be concerned about impairment, and that's it. It doesn't matter why. It doesn't really matter why. No value judgment on, it just doesn't matter. But Not everyone feels that way, but I certainly do. It doesn't matter. Is the person impaired? And then if they are impaired, why aren't we trying to find out the psychosocial contributors to why the person is impaired? <laughs> Not just, oh, the person was came positive for something. Well, again, Had you paid them a wage that didn't require them to have to work a second job (laughs) and to have to deal with some of the other things that they have to deal with, which sometimes they, you know, they self-medicate. I mean, this is a whole, this could be a really whole nother conversation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, It is. And I think a lot of people, they do turn to those things, whether it's for. Anxiety from work, or anxiety for this, or they couldn't sleep, or this or that. There's different reasons why people use certain substances, right? And some people just use it because they like it, right? Yes. Like, yes, they like to have that glass of wine at night. Yes, some people like to have, you know, a, a cannabis gummy before they go to bed. Yes, like, is that Im- impacting them when they show up to work the next day? Wow! And that's wow. really what we should care about and what we should be talking about as as a as a culture, right? Because there is this paradigm shift, right? That is becoming more susceptible. Su- yes, um, acceptable, sorry, acceptable. And we we just need to start having a little bit more of a modern <laughs> um, thought process to it, but also having more employee-centric policies and programs out there that get to the root cause, right? As safety professionals, right? We're all about getting to the root cause. What is it, five wise? Are we asking, are we doing the five whys analysis and, and asking why did we, you know, why is this person doing this and in, in having this issue? And are we just saying, you know what, Jamie has an issue. That's her problem. She tested positive, you know, she's out Wow. Yeah. On to the next employee. And a lot of companies are doing that, but there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cost that comes along with that too, right? That's right. You took time to develop, you know, to train, to onboard, to get people in your organization to where they are. And and that person as well put a lot of time, effort, and energy into the work that they're doing for you. And now when they have a little bit of a problem, and maybe it's not even a problem, right? Right. Maybe they just tested positive because they went to a concert over the weekend and they yes. were having having fun, right? Right. If it's legal, that's on their own time. It has nothing to do with what they did for you. But now you're just going to say, what? Too bad for you and move on. Well, now you have to find another person. That's right. Recruit, retain, train, all of those things that come along with it, as opposed to having more modern policies that are employee-centric and try to get them back to where you want them, you know, where they need to be, right? So I think that that's kind of that's we're talking about that a lot um, internally at our organization on how you 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 know have those employee centric programs and how that really at the end of the day it's going you know it's gonna be better for those employees, but it's it's gonna be better for your bottom line too. At the end of the day, it's just good business.
0: And, and you mentioned, uh, you know, a little bit about, you know, the co-founders of the company and how they, they just really seem to get it. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I, would, I would venture to say that there are folks out there who are not that fortunate. They're working in companies where the owners don't get it, the managers don't get it. Nobody really gets it other than the handful of people who are, who are experiencing this every day. And so what kind of advice would you give to organizations who say that, you know, I, I, how can we become one of those? I mean, how can we become like those folks that Jamie talked about? What kind of advice would you give them?
1: It's pretty simple, right? In my opinion, care, just care about your people, care about them more than you care about shareholder prices, care about them, get to know your people, um, and show that you care don't just have a pizza party you know in and, and, and say look at all these great things that we're doing for our, for our people truly care about them in every aspect of that human right um, know their names know their people I mean if you're a big multinational company I know that's really difficult but this comes down to from the top down if you if if that CEO of that company knows his next level of employees and they know their next, it's the domino effect of just people caring about each other that I I I just really think that I know that sounds really simplistic and probably like I said before a little too touchy feely for people, but it really does play into the way you you the way you make people feel resonates with them, and if they feel valued and they feel that they're taken care of, right? From a, it, not just a monetary standpoint, right? Like obviously pay goes into a lot of things, right? We, <laughs> we're all not, you know, ultra super altruistic. We're like, I'm just gonna work for free, right? We, we, we just can't do that, right? But if you're being fair in your pay, you're treating people fair in your organization, you're giving them opportunities, you listen to them, you allow them to speak freely and to, and to give feedback and you take that feedback and you actually do something with it, that's, going, that's, that's what organizations need to do. Don't just do something just to do it, just to say that you're doing something because at the end of the day, your employees know if you mean it or not. That's right. And employees are starting to talk, right? They're starting to talk to each other. People are starting to ask, talk about a lot of things, right? Did you get an opportunity for training? Did you get an opportunity for that promotion? Were you passed up? You know, you know we all just got, you know, we all just had our performance reviews or we all just had raises. What was yours?
0: Mm. People
1: are starting to talk about these things where it wasn't maybe talked about in the past. And guess what? When people start to find out that there's, you know, disparities right in certain things. So you really do need to if you're gonna talk the talk and you're gonna be out there, don't just do it just for show because people will re will your employees are pretty smart, right?
0: They are. They are they are
1: they're not they're they're not as dumb as I think some you know leaders think they are. And (laughs) The faster they realize that that you're not going to pull one over on them, the faster you know the the more successful that organization will be.
0: Uh, so I, I heard someone uh, I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. Dr. Myron Golden says that people do things for one for one reason and one reason only because they feel like it. And it is all about how people feel about what it is that you're right. doing. You, your intent could be all kinds of things, and ultimately, for some people, that it did not matter what you intended. It matters how it made me feel. And if you really care about the people in your organization, you will do this ongoing assessment of: here's what we intended, but how did that feel for you? Because I mean, there are a lot of again, there are a lot of companies out there, and it's just so interesting to hear about the culture you all are have created, Han Labs, and how you're having discussions right now, but what happens as we get bigger? What happens as we bring in more people? How, this constant assessment of how is this working for you? Because if this, if organizations really are more about people and less about profit, you'll actually make more profit when it's all over. Actually will. I'm convinced of that. I'm
1: convinced of it too. I I, I really am. And, you know, uh, there's a quote that I I was, I I look up quotes every once in a while. Sometimes you're just looking for that, that piece of insight, that piece of inspiration. And, you know, I, I found this one and I don't know, this, this guy was pretty smart. I mean, he was Albert Einstein, right? Like, (laughs) right. But he has a quote that says, try not to become a person of success rather try to become a person of value.
0: Mm, Yes. Yes.
1: Because at the end of the day, if you're a person of value and you have good values and you value others, right, and that you're bringing value to an organization as well, guess what? You're going to be successful. So it's right. again that domino effect of you know how you do things and, and what you bring to the table, but also then how that's that's treated by that organization. And everybody wants to be valued. Sure, everybody does. It's just one of those basic needs as a human being is it's to it's to add value to whatever you're doing and i often ask that and and, and i've challenged that back to organizations. what whatever we're doing does it add value right does it add value to our organization does it add value to our people to our teams right does it add value to our customers how does everything that we do add value and if you can't say <laughs> yes then why are we doing it or Maybe how we're doing it needs to change if it's not adding value or, you know, to that, you know, to to the organization and to all of those key players. Absolutely. But I really think that you have to have it in it. Does it add value to your to the company? Does it add value to our team, you know, to our employees? And does it add value to our customers? If you're if you're answering yes to all of those things you're going to be good to go, right? (laughs) You're going to be pretty successful. But I really think that including everybody, you have to look at each aspect. I think a lot of times we look at, yeah, this is good for the company or it's good for our customers or maybe the shareholders, right? But it's not good for our employees, Mm. right? Mm. And how do we go back to making sure that everybody's winning (laughs) when we're making a decision and that 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 it makes sense for everybody involved?
0: Absolutely. Wow. Uh, So we we uh, we shared a little bit of this off air, but this is a conversation that could that could go on and on. But so I can get folks to tune in later. (laughs) Uh, Thanks so much for for what you shared and sharing your experience. I think it's really important for folks to hear that this is not just pie in the sky. And, and, and I, you know, I appreciate what you said earlier that, you know, your company is not perfect, but it's certainly pursuing uh what what you, you know, putting these words into action. So people really feel it. And it's just really, it's really wonderful to hear a safety professional talk about how even in your role as a safety profession, you feel valued and you feel as if you're making a contribution. And that's really that's what got this conversation going. And and I'm I'm just really thankful that you've shared that. So for, for those out there who may, they may not believe it, they may want to follow up on their own. Um, what's, you know, if folks wanted to reach out and make contact with you, a contact with your company, how, how would they do that?
1: Uh, they can reach me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, you probably see me posting a lot on LinkedIn, uh, but you can find me, Jamie Feinberg, um, on LinkedIn, but you can also reach out to me uh, via email. Feel free to email me. Uh, it's my name is on the screen here. So it's jamie.feinberg at houndlabs.com. So hound like the dog in labs.com. And uh, I look forward to hearing from everybody. I mean, we're, we're on the brink of something great. We're looking to bring safety and fairness to uh, employees. Um, and it's, it's been a really fun ride. And like I said, no organization is perfect, but as long as you're striving to be better every single day, you're headed in the right
0: direction. Absolutely, uh, as Arthur Ashe once said, "Success is not a destination; it's a journey." It's all all a journey. And uh, this this podcast and the conversation about psychological health and safety is particularly in the United States a journey. It is not going to be perfect. It is not. It's going to have its lumps and bumps. Uh, you, we're going to have folks who are even going to see. Even the solution is slightly different, but it's just great to be able to have the conversation. And as I said, I'm just so excited to to hear that, wow, there's somebody out there who's working on it. And uh, hopefully folks will reach out to you and want to learn more because there are a lot of organizations that are struggling right now and many that actually want to get better and and see that this is important and haven't quite figured it out. So hopefully uh, some of those folks will reach out to you. You can also reach out uh, to me. Uh, You can go to our website, psych health and safety, you can get all of the previous uh, uh episodes of the podcast in case you miss somebody there's lots of information when i was starting to get a larger library and people are starting to ask about hey i heard that person was on just go there and you can find out i also you can follow me on linkedin uh, i i'm not sure if i'm if i'm as prolific as jamie is but i try to stay out there as as best i can and uh you can also follow uh, uh, my company, ID Two Solutions. Uh, we are we're attempting to help people take this journey, to helping people take the journey. And every journey is a little bit different. And we're hoping that people who are taking that journey to more psychologically healthy and safe workplaces will continue to join us here at the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast, where uh, we're here each week with great guests like Jamie. And uh, that bring but that brings this episode to a close. And we'll look forward to seeing and hearing many of you uh, in a future episode. So thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Jamie. And uh, we'll, we'll chat again soon. Thank you so
1: much. We'll talk soon.
0: You've been listening to the Psych Health and Safety USA podcast. To stay up to date with the best content on workplace mental health in America, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And join the DX community at www.flourishdx.com dot com